Welcome to the Get In It podcast. Today we have Jonathan from Being Here. Thank you so being much. Being there. Being there. Well, but I'm we have saying. been here. Yeah. yeah. And here we are. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So we are in uh, the Being There shop in 44 Stanley, in the lovely little outside courtyard. Thank you so much for having us, man. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, thank you for your time. It's, really, <laughs> it's going to be fun. Yeah. So I always kind of like to do these things chronologically in a way. Mm-hmm. So where did your obviously intense love for coffee come from originally? Yeah, so I mean that's uh, that's quite an easy one because uh, my um, I got introduced to coffee by my grandmother. Oh yeah. So her name was Olga, and so at some point uh, when you walk into the shop, you will see Olga's Reserve, which is a limited edition that we that we do from time to time. We don't have any in the sh- shop at the moment because uh, uh, with lockdown, it has not made its way here yet, but it will be on its way. Um, and yeah, my grand, uh, when I was like 13, 14, she said, Jonathan, if you can have coffee without sugar. Um, you will fall in love with the flavors and aromas and your life will be uh, forever more transformed. And uh, I think she was right. And uh, so, yeah, so sort of fell in love with coffee and her way of having coffee with a little you know, piece of chocolate was something that's quite a great childhood memory. And so, yeah, she instilled this wonderful, uh, wonderful love for uh, coffee within me. And I guess, yeah, I've carried that my, my whole life. Yeah. Crazy, right? And how did you sort of, where did been there start? Yeah, so I guess um, I mean my so history is a you know, I spent some time in uh, um, in the IT industry. So I started off with uh, IBM and uh, Diet Data and uh, like around about what time was this? So this was in uh, um, end of uh, the nineties and two th- and into early two thousand, probably you know when you were not born yet, possibly. <laughs> Who knows? I was I was ninety five. Ninety five. Oh, what a great year! <laughs> yeah. no, freedom, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I suppose yeah, it was the end of um, uh, about 2001, the stock market crashed and I was at uh, Diodate at the time and I decided that it was time to take a year off and go and travel. So my wife and I took the whole of 2002 off and mm-hmm. uh, we did a uh, 27,000 kilometer road trip through That's the US and started. Canada. Yeah, <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. Uh, bought a Honda Accord and a uh, couple you know, tents and packed it, you know, kitted out and we camped and into you know, some family and mates and uh, a couple of hotels and better breakfast. You know, I just had a, headed out on this uh, wonderful you know, adventure, uh, sort of a, a whole sort of loop of really of the, of the US and Canada. Um, and then amazing. we landed back up in Vancouver and then went across to Europe and back back through Europe for another three months and then sort of came back uh, to Canada. And actually in our time in Canada, I met a guy who had a, a coffee roasting business in, the, in a fair trade coffee business. And mm. it was my first exposure to fair trade. I'd never heard of the word even before. Um, and so he this was 2002. Yeah, 2002. And yeah, he explained to me you know, how it worked and uh, that he had direct fair trade relationships with uh, small-scale farmers at that stage in Colombia. And uh, yeah, I just loved, the, loved his model. I loved the fact that you could have a business and something that you loved, which mm. um, I sort of identified, I love a business in coffee, always been a major passion. And to be able to impact the lives of small-scale coffee farmers, you know, what a, what a combination <laughs> of a occupation. If you make a difference doing something that you love. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I came back to South Africa and um, yeah, I didn't quite feel it was exactly right to start immediately. So I actually um, worked for uh, an organization called Starfish, raising funds for children orphaned or affected by AIDS. So okay. I did that for two years uh, and then took the plunge and uh, yeah, started my garage and, uh, yeah. 
18 months in my garage, 18 months in a mate's factory in Kai Sands, and then uh, landed up here at uh, 44 Stanley. So you've been here um, for quite a while. Yeah, so I've been here since, uh, I was, I've got the joy of marking milestones with my children. So <laughs> Jessica is uh, 15 years old, and that's how old the business is. Um, and my son Ethan is, uh, um, is now 11. Um, I suppose he's turned 12 now. Actually, <laughs> lockdowns are a bit confusing. Yeah, time um, flew this year. I feel like we're still in May. I know. <laughs> and his birthday was in May, so I was, so he's now twelve. Yes, um, and so yeah, that's how long we've been here. Twelve years. Crazy. Uh, at forty-four standing. That's yeah. quite an achievement. Hmm. And have you been in the same spot? We have. Yeah, I mean, we sort of, yeah, the, the spot stayed the same as you would have uh, probably noticed, or maybe you hadn't noticed, but. Um, We've uh, we renovated it, so we were due to open just before um, lockdown. Uh, so yeah, we were a few days away from opening the shop, and um, yeah, so we changed the whole structure after I suppose after these twelve years. But uh, we had a few little um, refurbs along the way, but this was quite a big change with the movement of the bar and mm. you know, a whole lot of new um, seating, etc. So oh, it looks great. Mm. It's yeah, a very nice like atmosphere yeah. in there. I do think that those lampshades are probably the most photographed lampshades in Joburg at the moment. <laughs> I think everyone who walks through the front door just lifts their, uh, lifts no. their phone up, takes a photo of the lampshades. I've never uh, seen carries, lampshades like that. And no. carries on. <laughs> no, neither had I. Yeah. You, can, you can actually smuggle a body, I think, probably <laughs> comfortably inside. Yeah, that's yeah, quite a thought. Yeah. Um, so you told me that up until recently, everything was roasted right here. Yeah, so I mean, I suppose... Um, yeah, we started by, you know, roast, and so in, we, we did roast everything here for the first, I think, when we moved across. But um, so maybe for the last, I suppose we've probably been at uh, Bramfontein for the last four years roasting. Um, but before that, so the first, I suppose, eight, we were roasting pretty much full, full-time here. Um, and then as it just, uh, I think it just got a little bit too chaotic, a little bit um, too much roasting. Uh, and I think our neighbours were also, um, you know, the smell of roasting coffee day in and day out um, <laughs> was uh, not endearing us to uh, to our neighbours. To be and honest, so, that doesn't oh, sound that bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they'd uh, necessarily <laughs> agree with you. Um, but yeah, we just needed more space anyway. So yeah. uh, to move to Bramfontein, we had uh, more of a factory environment where there's more space for the packaging and green coffee, etc. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was just becoming chaos I think, <laughs> in here. With, uh, yeah. So um, for the amount of coffee that I drink, I really don't know a lot about coffee at all. Mm. Um, so I'm quite curious, the roasting process, like how mm. does that sort of from start to end, how, how does that work? Yeah, so I mean, uh, I should uh, maybe back up a little bit just to the, um, to the farming process, which yeah, is quite cool. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you can, I mean, that is an example of our coffee tree in the courtyard here. Looks oh. like that has uh, not been watered correctly, so we've lost <laughs> a f- lost half of it. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a coffee tree, and uh, I mean, and when the, when it produces fruit, you get these little like red cherries, mm. and inside that the red red pulpy sort of cherry is are the two beans, um, and it goes through the process of having that pulp removed through ferment uh, through sort of grading fermentation tanks out into drying tables, it's dried. Um, removed of its parchment, huge amounts of hand sorting, machine sorting, color sorting. Um, and so the end result is that we land up getting a product here, uh, which we call green coffee, which comes in these green in these sacks that you can see um, next to the roaster there. Uh, very hard sort of olive green bean, um, and that's what we that's what we get. And by the time we've got it, it's really 
uh, it's exceptionally well sorted. You know? mm. uh, all the defects are removed. Um, you'll notice if you look at any of the roasted beans, there's no chipped beans, no broken beans. They're almost perfect. Mm. Um, and that's what happens when you buy really, really high-quality coffee. Um, is you really get um, the well-sorted, uh, well-graded, um, well-graded Interesting beans. that you say that. I was first introduced to bean and coffee my... So I moved to Joburg three years ago. Yeah. And then almost two years ago now, I met my current girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> three months into the relationship, like, moved into a flat at the back of her parents' house. Her parents yeah. are just lovely people. Yeah. Um, and her dad, like, only drinks bean there. Good man. And has been. No wonder he's such a lovely guy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, But I think that's been for the last like six or seven years as well. And I remember opening the pack and seeing the beans, and I was like, it looked comically perfect. Yeah. Like it looked fake. Yeah. Yeah. Because every every single bean is just perfect. Yeah, Yeah, and I know. I mean, and and oftentimes people don't quite realize the amount of work that goes into that cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, especially when it's hand sorted at this quality mm. uh, you know it, it takes it takes one lady or one man but generally a lady um, who does the hand they do the hand sorting they take a 70 kilo sack they open it out it takes them probably uh, one to two days I'm spending on their speed but um, to, to meticulously hand sort every bean so literally every bean literally they move it across and they remove any defects any chipped beans any broken beans obviously every coffee has a home mm. um, but but because of the quality we buy, um, we don't take any of the chipped, broken, you know, uh, defect beans at all. We only want, you know, uh, just perfect coffee. But you don't realize, you know, it's like two days labor just to get one sack of coffee mm-hmm. hand sorted, let alone all the work that's gone in before that. And so, yeah, so when it's, um, you asked about the roasting process, but yeah. uh, when it arrives, it's sort of this green coffee, you know, hopefully as perfect as, uh, as possible. Um, and then we put it in the put it in the roaster, um, and the roaster is really just a big drum, you know, <laughs> so like a big I would say sort of a big washing machine really. It's just sort of turning, and it's um, heated by gas okay. and gas flames, um, and it needs to constantly turn so that it doesn't sit and have a chance to burn in any particular space. And so what you want out of a good roaster is a good transfer of heat, which is why we've chosen these German Probat roasters. Uh, the one here at Forty Four Stanley is a two thousand and four. Um, and the one that we actually do most of roasting on is from 1950. Um, so, yeah, and they've got these cast iron drums with this like really great heat retention, and that uh, you know, is able to transfer very even heat mm. um, to the beans. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess the uh, that me- makes for an even even roast. Is it one of those things um, where they just don't make them like they used to? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, listen, I think the you know, Probat is still existing, and they they do. I mean, if we had to buy a new one, I think the new ones would probably. I mean, they probably as good. I think <laughs> maybe it's just a, you know, just yeah. that we feel like you know oh, nostalgia, you know, factor, a bit of nostalgia to you yeah. know, vintage. We roast on a vintage Probat. Uh, maybe there's something in that. Um, obviously, we've pumped ours out a bit with you know temperature probes and you know, and computer systems which attach to to those probes which very you know, track our roasting process so mm. we can see exactly what's happening in the drum which you obviously wouldn't have been able to do in 1950 um, so they're all retrofitted probes um, and that gives us a real sense of uh, what's happening in the drum and helps us you know at least repeat processes to see what's happening mm-hmm. um, and also to pick up any issues so you know, if you taste a bag of coffee and you're like ah, no, this is this is crack. i don't know what you did here uh, we can at least you know with the batch number on the bottom of that bag we can go back uh, look at that batch number and work out you know what maybe something went wrong mm. 
And um, yeah, so the process is yeah that you put these green beans in the in the drum, um, and then you're looking at uh, we drop them in temperature-wise, you know, sort of around about you know, 180 to 200 degrees, and then it it drops off and then it climbs. And the roasting process is a constant sort of climb. Okay. Uh, you don't want to let your the, ro- the roasting stall. You want it to continue roasting. Otherwise, if you stall it, you're baking. Um, so you want to roast coffee, not bake coffee. Uh, and I only know that because I baked the first few batches of coffee. We <laughs> so what happens when you bake it? It just has this bready, bready baked sort of taste, a flatness to it. Okay. Um, it loses its sparkle. Um, mm. I think you sort of you sort of flatten the process out. You know, you just stall it, and it just sort of um, all the um, exciting sort of acidity and aroma and body and stuff you know, within that uh, bean just sort of you know, disappears. Um, and uh, yeah, so you just want to continue, you need to continue this rate of rise and you don't want it to stall. And yeah, so you're looking at about, you know, somewhere around that, the sort of 12 minute uh, mark. Like, thank you. Yeah. I would have thought it was like crazy long. It's and, amazing. Um, yeah, and you put in, uh, you put in, uh, I mean, there's a weight loss component, which is always a sad part. You, know, you put in, you know, 10 kilos, and you may, you only only get eight and a half, you know, mm-hmm. out. So you lose, you know, somewhere around, depending on how you roast it, somewhere around 15 percent. Crazy. Uh, which is the moisture content. So the beans sort of double in size, and then they lose 15 percent of their weight. So okay. they come out yeah. bigger but lighter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it always feels like you're burning money inside because <laughs> you paid for it and now you put it in the roast and then what comes out is less. So you just burn to cash inside there, um, which is a bit, always a bit sad. So, yeah. yeah. No, okay. It's a wonderful environment here. You get to hear the rushing water. And, uh, just, uh, <laughs> the water's a little, a little bit little, uh, <laughs> In the hand dryer. Hand dryers, lovely. There's yeah. always some noise issue though. Yeah. But it's all good. Um, so tell me a little bit, has your clientele sort of changed in the last, like since starting at mm. all? Or do you find you just sort of get customers and then keep them? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think, um, I think what, we've, we, what we've seen over the last like 15 years of business is, is how the coffee industry has changed. And so definitely we've been, I mean, it's grown and, and evolved. I mean, I can remember opening up here for the first time, you know, if I made you a cup of coffee and put a heart in it. I mean, you flip and take out your phone and take a <laughs> photograph and t- show mates and come behind and ask how I did it. Do you have a stencil? You know, how does this work? You know, so um, now let's say art is at the level, you know, that, uh, you know, if Marcus pours a, a swan in your cup, you probably just chunk, you know, you probably just stir it and carry on. You know, here's <laughs> a work of art. You don't even hardly look at it. Yeah. So you realize that, uh, you know, we've just evolved as coffee drinkers in South Africa and worldwide mm. um, to just, uh, I think, appreciate better quality coffee. So um, so I think there's been um, that sort of evolution. Um, and I think, you know, what, um, what happened to our customers, I mean, we, we retained a lot of our customers um, uh, over these 15 years. And I think... I think it's largely because um, the uh, customers who buy into being there usually um, usually fall in love, hopefully, with two things. One is our quality, mm. um, and that should always be first. You should like our coffee because it tastes amazing. Um, but the second aspect is uh, they they fall in love with the story behind it. You know, mm. the, the fact that we source directly from small-scale farmers, the fact that we pay fair trade prices and uh, that we invest in communities, the fact that, you know, we're, you know, organic rainforest alliance, you know, that we're really 
um, uh, we try to be on the sort of forefront in terms of uh, the, um, you know, the, our sort of sustainability and environmental mm. impact. I think we were the first company to launch 100% um, compostable takeaway cups. You know, so I guess you know, the, there's a you know, people will buy our coffee and continue buying it from the quality. But I think uh, we we've got some. I believe some really important other aspects to our brand, which hopefully uh, keeps people uh, coming coming back and wanting to uh, become sort of you know, regular customers because of the extension of their impact that you can have. And as a yeah. customer buying our coffee, you know that you're not just buying a you know a great cup of coffee, but actually the farmers who produce this are hopefully you know um, increasing and growing in their sort of you know lives um, as a result of. The purchase that you make. Mm. I think screwing the small little local economies is such an important thing as well. Mm. I saw on one of your Instagram posts, like one of the, I cannot remember which one, mm. but one of the farms, like they, the actual farm also supports a bunch of community projects sort of around them, like the basket weaving and yes. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's those knock-on effects where it's yeah. someone in Joburg buying a cup of coffee, but that's indirectly supporting that whole community yeah. and then that whole community supporting the community around yeah. it. Yeah, it's yeah. such a cool thing. Like, I think when it comes to sort of social change and trying to actually make a difference, I think people should scale down mm. and look at the smaller picture. Like, help one person really help one person rather than mm. like donating five hundred rand to some charity that's supposed to be helping a million people. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Like, just yeah, knock on effects work yeah. better than yeah. trying to like aim for the big picture and then just get demotivated yeah. in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, I think it's one of the things that, it's one of the reasons why um, I love, you know, traveling to origin, you know, and because I try and visit our farmers in a normal environment, you know, every year to try and get to, you know, the different countries we work with. And, um, you know, sometimes when you, you, sometimes you can feel, get a little bit despondent about life, you know, mm. um, and, uh, you know, are you making an impact and you want to make this big impact and, you know, if, if everything's not changing in the world, you wonder, you know, is it really worth it? Am I wasting my time? You know, all of these sort of things. Um, and then you send, spend some time with, like, you know, a particular family or just a particular farmer and you sort of, um, you re-energize. You realize that, you know, it's not, it's, it's um, although one desires to impact, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, um, it's actually all right even if you just impact one. Yeah. Um, and I think um, I often am pulled back to that, uh, you know, the organization I worked with before was Starfish. Mm. And, um, the, and you're probably aware of the Starfish parable. You know that? It's um, ringing a bell, but I can't put my finger on now. So it's, yeah, that's the, it's that um, parable that, of that uh, guy walks down onto the beach and sees a lady throwing Starfish back into the sea. Yeah. And he says to her, you know, listen, what are you, what are you doing here? Um, there's thousands of Starfish all across the... I'm sure they've all washed up, you know. Mm. What difference can you possibly make? And uh, she picks, leans out, picks up one, throws it back and says, well, I made a difference to that one. Yeah. And that whole sort of concept of like, you know, you look at a problem and you think, you know, can I really solve, you know, solve it? You know, it's so big. Um, but actually just those one at a time, you know, mm. for that one, you can make a difference. And, um, you yeah, so I think that, you know, that's, um, that's certainly been like an encouragement to me when you know feeling a little bit shattered and a little bit like you know are we really are we what impact are we really making and then you get out and you know chat to farmers in Rwanda and as you, you mentioned the basket weaving thing I mean that project in Rwanda the community we work with there is amazing I mean what they've done in that community through 
cow projects through basket weaving, through nurseries for um, coffee seedlings, through a milling plant for cassava, which is their staple diet. Mm. Um, instead of you know, mom sitting there with a pestle and mortar milling the cassava, they just bring it to the co-op, to the coffee station. They've got a little mill, chuck their cassava in there in a few yeah, few minutes. They've got a whole the whole bag is milled. They go home, saves a whole lot of time. They can now spend, you know, with kids or you know, doing homework or doing, you know, doing other things. Um, and so you just look at like how the community um, has grown. I mean, they put in a mill recently, where they then are bringing in, um, uh, providing more jobs for the community. Um, so instead of sending the, the coffee to be milled in Kigali, um, they're milling it on site at the washing station. Um, at their little, in their little community and then providing hand sorting jobs and milling jobs and everything for their community. So you see all of that and you're like, you know, that's, uh, you know, and our purchases make a big difference. The mm. prices we pay allow that stuff to happen. You know? That's amazing. Hmm. Tell me some stories, man, about actually going to the roasters and the farmlands. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the, um, I suppose a, a couple of, uh, yeah, maybe a couple of interesting sort of travel, maybe a bit of some travel stories in some, uh, you know, some farmers that have impacted me. But, um, you know, I think the, you know, when we added our, um, probably the most interesting place I've got to travel to and our most interesting, I guess as a result, our most interesting coffee is probably the DRC. Mm. And, um, you know, we were the first roasters uh, to bring in coffee from the DRC. I think there's one other... Um, DRC coffee in the country at the moment and um, yeah I mean the DRC is such an incredible place uh, I've heard it's absolutely gorgeous it's so it's so beautiful and so much potential I mean oftentimes people joke and uh, say that when God was dishing out resources in the world he stumbled over the DRC you know and dropped you know yeah. way more than, than he <laughs> should have um, because they literally have everything you know going for them I mean from the size of the country to all the natural resources and you know um, and so yeah, just so much going for them. As a result, though, obviously, you know, they've had you know huge amounts of conflict and war. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, I think the you know, going across, you know, we buy coffee from Rwanda and we go across the border from Rwanda into um, into the DRC at Goma. So we leave Gis, you know Gisenya on the one side, go across the border to Goma, and it's honestly just like you know it's like a totally different world. I mean, it's mm. the most. Um, the most interesting sort of paradigm. You know, you, one moment you know you're in a country that um, is very law-abiding, would not accept a bribe, is absolutely magnificent and clean, and I mean, it's the beauty of Rwanda. I mean, there's not there's no paper lying around. I mean, it makes Switzerland look a little bit shabby. Right. And they are really so so careful, um, and uh, I mean, the country is just beautifully kept. And um, when you go across to Goma, and it's just like the wild west, and um, yeah, I remember our first, uh, my first trip, you know, we leave from Goma, we go, our coffee is a little bit north, going into those beautiful Virunga mountains where the gorillas are and just, you know, magnificent lakes and forests. And mm. so we fly over, fly over that to an area of Batembo, which is where our coffee comes from. Um, at the moment, it's still quite a hot spot for Ebola. Um, and so I haven't been able to go for the last two years oh. um, as a result. But um, yeah, so I remember sitting on the, getting on this uh, plane and sat sitting in my seat and uh, realizing that there's no, there's no seat buckle. So I found the two pieces of fabric that were sort of attached to my seat and tied them in a knot. <laughs> um, and so we, yeah, and we took off and uh, did a little stop to pick up some other passengers at another little town called Bene. 
And um, when we, what, what size plane was it? Um, it's one of these, I mean, Russian, um, I'm trying to think how many seater. I mean, I would have said maybe 20 seater, 25 seater. Um, and uh, yeah, old, old Russian plane, old and, and Russian pilots as well. No safety briefing at all. No, <laughs> yeah, nothing. Just get on. No one, pilots didn't say a word. Nobody yeah. said anything. Just an air taxi. No. Just go. <laughs> Um, and so we stopped this little this little town in Benny, and um, uh, they got everyone off, so everyone gets off, and then um, they proceeded. Obviously, they ran out of uh, luggage space, mm. so they just proceeded to pack all the luggage, the remaining luggage for the new people coming on in the aisle. <laughs> so now you've got, like, obviously the hull is full of luggage, and then the aisle is full of luggage. So then, when everyone has to get back on, you can't go up down the aisle. So you have to, we st- had to step over the seats <laughs> to get to wherever you were seated. <laughs> Um, and so once we'd done that, uh, we realized, oh, hold on, there's actually one extra person than seats. So the pilot just says, no, you sit on that one's lap, so you two share. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, never been on a plane where it was uh, you know, just sort of a bit of a, you know, bit of a free-for-all. Yeah. Um, and in Africa, but it's yeah. a beautiful thing, though, I love it. <laughs> and then, I mean, taking off, uh, I've never felt less, uh, well, maybe, maybe less comfortable um, you know, we took off and uh, the, the sort of the runway ends and you, you can feel, you know, I was looking out the window and realizing that actually we weren't, we were battling to get airborne. You know? <laughs> and then the runway ends and fortunately it's on a bit of a hill and you could you feel the sort of, oh, as it sort of like, just felt like, I felt like we dipped first yeah. before, we, before we got going. It was like planes um, going off an aircraft carrier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, um, DRC is a bit crazy from that point of view. I mean, there's no, there's no getting around, unfortunately, getting around bribes. I mean, you know, nobody, you know, you never have the right stuff. You know? No matter what cards you have, what vaccinations you have, you're just not going to have the right stuff. So yeah. the moment you stand in the queue to hand over your passport, he says, you know, yeah, but you don't have a polio vaccine. You know? mm. Well, I had it as a kid. Well, you know, polio is very, very rough where you're going. You're going to need to have that vaccine. Mm. And then you know, you know. So how much is that vaccine? <laughs> so you know that it's going to be, you know. But there's no getting around it. Otherwise, you don't get on the plane. You don't get to where you're going. So, yeah, I think that's some, um, you know, challenge, um, challenge uh, dealing in the DRC. But I guess the what strikes me particularly is just how incredible the people are. Mm. So you know, just the um, the friendliness and the laughter and the joy of the of the cooperative that we work with. Where um, because of the premiums we're paying. Um, the company we work with is able to pay 25% more than anyone else um, in that area. And also, because of our premiums, we provided midday meals for people. We built a bit of a creche for kids um, that allows moms to bring their kids along to work and then the kids have got a place to play while mom's working. Uh, simple things like we bought a sound system. You know? <laughs> we asked like, what do ladies want? They want to listen to music you know, mm-hmm. while they're working. And so we bought a sound system and uh, you know, just to see um, you know, the joy at, at having work, I guess, um, yeah. and just the joy in, in the people, I think, was, uh, yeah, particularly, particularly exciting. So but It always comes back to the little things, though. Mm. It's just, like, the tiniest, especially when it's people that have been hit by living in a country which is, I can't imagine it's easy to live in the DRC. Yeah. No. And there's constantly stresses and little worries and things, like getting clean water for a lot of people is even a stress every single day. So those little yeah. things that yeah. we might take for granted so easily really do make a difference with people and that's why like I always try and hammer the small things do make big differences yeah yeah 
Yeah, they do. And, it, and sometimes the, the, the strangest things, you know? <laughs> like, what is, the, what is something you really, really want? You know? Music. Mm. Oh, okay, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> I was thinking something else, you know? Yeah. So it's coming, you know, left field. So, yeah. Sometimes you can yeah. get so caught up in your own little world that, like, you forget what actually, like, just little things make differences to people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, small things matter. It's like having music to listen to while you work. Yeah. It yeah. makes such a big difference just yeah. in your whole, like, Demeanor, yeah, yeah. I think demeanor, just mental health, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I think uh, good working environments, comfortable, you know, just being happy in your, you know, mm. in your work. So, how do you actually go about finding new places? Um, yeah, I mean that's the we've had. Uh, I've had, I suppose, the joy of being connected with um, uh, right at the beginning when I first started mm. uh, with a guy in um, who's at that stage in Switzerland now living in Liverpool, but his family. Had a, uh, started a business in Kenya, um, and his family business is uh, over 150 years old, uh, and so and he's just got the same sort of heart for I think for Africa, same heart for you know making sure that farmers receive a fair price, um, and really wanting to see African farmers who produce great coffee being rewarded. You know, yeah. I think a beauty of trading fairly is it's not charity. This is not you know me rocking up saying let me give you some bucks. You know, this yeah. is actually me just saying hey. You produce some of the finest coffee on the planet. Let me pay you what you it's worth to be paid. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think the you know, and so he has the same you know, uh, his name's Phil Schluter, and he has the same, I think the same heart and the same desires to see uh, the same sort of change uh, where we work. And so yeah, so I mean, he would connect me, given all his history and the number of producers he knows, the number of people he's worked with uh, in the um, in the coffee industry. And I looked at a new country. Like uh, you know, looking at Ethiopia, mm. um, you know, he'd say, I'd say, listen, I'm looking for a new community. Um, what do you, um, you know, what do you suggest? And he would come back with a few options, you know. And um, yeah, so on, on that sort of basis, you know, that's where we'd, uh, yeah, we would start. You know, we'd look, tick up the samples, and uh, we obviously want to make sure we buy the best quality coffee. Yeah. And so we pick up, um, yeah, pick up the, the best coffee out of the samples there, and uh, and then see whether we could align good quality with the community we wanted to work with so yeah, so that's what we've done you know over the years is every time I'm looking at a new place I'd phone him and say hey what do you recommend <laughs> and uh, yeah and he would um, sort of go go from there that's amazing man and um, so I've noticed sort of most of the places are in a similar region in Africa is coffee mm-hmm. very specific in terms of where what kind of climates it can grow in yeah, I mean, I think the um, you know it definitely is, um, and if you just, if you look at that uh, if you look at the map, it's sort of you know it, there's like a coffee belt around the world. Mm. You know? um, so obviously we're working just in Africa, and it's all in you know um, all in sort of East Africa. Yeah. Um, but if you spin that around, you you're looking at um, uh, you know you, you'll go around, you'll pick up you know uh, Central, uh, you know on the other side, you pick up you know Central America. You know you've got all the um, you know, and, then, and then I suppose chunks of you know um, Brazil, Colombia, you know, um, I suppose to, you know, to El Salvador, Guatemala, and you know, I suppose if you, you know, so there's the coffee belt, and then like uh, Indonesia, whatever. So it's all it likes coffee does like to grow sort of you know close-ish to that band around the equator, mm. um, and then um, ideally it wants um, for coffee to grow well, it wants uh, you know good volcanic soils, and it doesn't like frost. So, you know, when you get close to the equator, you don't get frost even at the, you know, some of the high altitudes. So you want good coffee likes, good altitude, 
you know, for slow growth, um, good volcanic soils, no frost, um, and that that climate exists you know, generally in that sort of that sort of zone. Mm. And how long does it take a plant to get sort of from being planted as a seed to a harvest? Yeah, I mean, you can um, you can get uh, you can probably start getting your first beans after about three years um, from planting, um, but then you know by five years you're in your you know in, in sort of a sweet spot, um, and then I've you know I mean I've been some of the farmers we work with like uh, farmer Agnes in Kenya, who's um, I mean, some of her trees were planted you know by her um, grandfather, so you're looking at you know looking at coffee trees that are you know fifty years plus you know yeah, and they just keep trim. producing yeah so you know uh, what will happen is that you know, obviously the stump just gets bigger but you in order to um, ensure good new growth you keep stumping the plant uh, so you'd see you know, if you go into a coffee plantation you'll see this massive stump but the actual suckers coming out of it will be a, a, you know, a lot mm-hmm. thinner um, and uh, yeah but the actual root stock um, is you know 50 to 100 years old potentially so is there any difference between coffee from like an older tree to a newer tree? Um, yeah, I mean that's a good. Uh, it is a good question. I mean we we you know, certainly in the, the you know, I suppose the world is oftentimes split on what good agronomy practices are. <laughs> I think it's common. Uh, I think you definitely need to need to be cutting back the trees to make sure that you get new growth. Mm. Um, and an ideal cycle of that would probably be around about a three-year cycle. Um, so. You know, ideally, you sort of are pruning your trees on that cycle, mm-hmm. um, and that should ensure good, you know, good volume, you know, on your trees. Um, and then I think you know, there's different schools of thought. I mean, uh, I think uh, a lot of people say that, you, know, you should probably you know plant plant new trees, um, and then to capitalize on that sort of you know five to fifteen year maybe, and then just uproot them, start again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I suppose. You know, there's different different schools of thought on that. Okay. So we've pretty much covered everything from before you actually make a cup of coffee. Yeah. I'm very intrigued. What's your favorite way to make yourself a cup of coffee at home? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a good... It's a good and very tricky question. <laughs> um, because I think I have um, all sorts of methods. Um, I've got like three home. that I switch between. Yeah. Which one is yours? So... One is this little filter thing that just sort of... I think it's a tea thing, actually. Yeah, yeah. But it's just got a very fine grate. And it okay. just chills in your cup with a yeah. little lid. Yeah. Um, so if I'm just making one quick cup of coffee for myself, I would use that. It's like, sort of like the ones that they use in Vietnam. So a little bit of a one cup. Yeah, Yeah, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm pretty sure it's a tea filter thing. Okay. Yeah. And otherwise a French press yeah. or just a normal drip machine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the... That's the, that's the difficulty answering that question is that I think one of the joys of coffee is that every method brings out different characteristics mm. and so um, yeah so I, I don't know if I can I mean I, I love having coffee in a Chemex um, it's one of my favorite methods uh, and the reason for that is that you know do you know the Chemex is the glass yeah, yeah. the glass bowl beautiful glass bowl um, I think it's from the 1950s. I did not know it was that old. Um, it's in the um, New York Museum of Fine Art um, as a design, beautiful design object, uh, recognized. And uh, uh, yeah, and I, I like it because it's a simple one piece unit. 
Mm. I like the fact that it's not, it's just one piece as opposed to some of the pour over stuff has got multiple pieces, you know, you've got the range server and then the dripper and pieces. Mm. I just, I quite like a one piece idea. Uh, simplicity um, is definitely a thing for me as well. The yeah, more yeah. steps and stuff there is, and the less I want to <laughs> And I think then the, the Chemex has this, uh, this filter paper, which is a little thicker than most filter papers. It's mm. um, quite a thick gauge filter paper, which means that it does pull back um, and hold back more of the dissolved solids um, within the coffee. Okay. Um, and so what you land up is you land up with a very, very clean, very clear um, almost, sometimes you could describe it as almost tea-like mm. um, in terms of its sort of texture, um, coffee. And I think what I get out of that is you really then, um, I'm not confused by any of the dissolved solids in the coffee. You're just getting the flavors and aromas because it's, like it's held back everything else. So it's quite a, um, uh, yeah, I feel like it highlights the unique aspects uh, of a coffee. So I really enjoy that. Um, that being said, I mean, I also enjoy a plunger. So, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I like the French press you know, yeah. because I actually like some of the grittiness and some of the structure mm. that, that, that comes through as well. So, like a nice morning coffee, you know, you know French press is great. You, know, yeah. you get a little bit more of that chunkiness in it. Um, and, um, yeah, and I think it's got like body and structure and it's, uh, you know, and it's great. Um, yeah, and then, I mean, you know, I get the joy of uh, sitting here and uh, um, having coffees made on a wonderful Lamazocco Strada, um, you know, beautiful espressos poured and lovely textured milk. So, you know, I equally enjoy, you know, a good cappuccino um, as well. So, yeah, so I think every time you take a coffee, if you take one coffee and you made it in, t in six different methods, you could honestly tell people it's six different coffees and they wouldn't argue necessarily yeah. with you um, mm -hmm. because they're like, yeah, no, this is different and different and different. I think each method has the ability to take out um, uh, different aspects of the coffee that the other doesn't. So, mm -hmm. yeah. No, I definitely noticed that recently. Even the, like you mentioned about the paper with the Chemex. Yeah. The, so my dad bought me a, I don't know if you know the brand Melita. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just a drip machine, mm -hmm. which is great because it's yeah. like a pot, but it's not the glass carafe with like a hot yeah. plate under yeah. it that burns yeah. coffee within yeah. like 20 minutes. Yeah. It's a thermos. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it keeps coffee warm for like six hours without yeah. Yeah, it really changed yeah. your burning. Yeah. But it came with like ten Melita papers as well that sort yeah. of bragged about like letting certain oils through and certain things not through and whatnot. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, our oh, marketing yeah. jargon. Yeah. But it made a bloody difference. It really yeah. Did. Yeah. yeah. When I tasted yeah. the same coffee yeah. afterwards with just normal like house of coffee's filters, it was completely different. Mm. Yeah. And that quite caught me off yeah. guard a little bit. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, and you're absolutely right. I mean, and the other thing that a lot of people don't realize about filter paper is that, um, and you can try this at home, is that. Uh, it's definitely always worth rinsing the filter before mm. you make the coffee. So you'll notice quite a difference. So um, just before you put your coffee in, just take some hot water and just rinse the filter paper and then put it in and then put your coffee in. And the reason for that is that you rinse out the paper taste. So there's a, you know, there's a bit of a paperiness to it. And so mm. I can taste, you know, and you, you taste it. We made a Chemex or a you know, filter... Um, coffee with one rinsed and one not rinsed. There's a there's a little bit if you discern it, you'll see, uh, you can say, oh yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of I can taste a little bit of the paper mm. um, in it. You're not always aware of it until it's maybe pointed out, but I think you'll notice quite a big difference. I'm definitely gonna if you just yeah, just just you know, hot yeah. water, you know, even hot water from the tap, you know, rinse it out, and then chuck your coffee in. Um, and that's, uh, yeah.
<laughs> nice little uh, hint on anything paper related. And then, like, sort of last question I want to ask, how much of a difference is there between buying sort of pre-ground filter coffee versus buying beans and grinding it fresh? Yeah. Yeah. You ask some very good questions. Thank you. I like it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, um, I have so much, like, yeah. I drink so much coffee, yeah. and I get curious about these things, yeah. but I never yeah. actually go out of my yeah. way to find out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it, is, uh, it makes a significant difference. Um, I think the, one of the things that Dwayne says is that if you, can invest, if you can invest in one thing to change your coffee experience, um, it is better to invest in a grinder. So if someone says, listen, I'm going to come in and buy an espresso machine, I want to spend 30 grand. Mm. I'm like, unless you're going to buy a grinder, don't waste your time. <laughs> um, because um, coffee, uh, once you grind the coffee, um, it loses its best components probably within minutes of grinding. It's why that when you see, when you look at the espresso bar, um, we don't have any grinders that have any hoppers. You know, you may, you may have been into coffee shops and they're, they're less prevalent now because I think people are realizing it. But um, in the old days, you'd always have like a, you know, your espresso grinder and then it had this like circular hopper that the guy would click, you know, click, click, yeah, click, yeah. click, 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 you know. And that coffee, that little hopper would be full of coffee. Um, and uh, so you grind it all and then you d dispense it. But actually, uh, some of the best aromas and flavors are lost within minutes of grinding. Yes. And so the idea, the ideal is that you, that you do buy a grinder for home and then grind it, brew it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that um, it's one of the best investments you can make in terms of elevating the coffee experience and just getting so much more flavor and aroma um, you know, out of the... Um, out of it. So, but that being said, I mean, you know, not everyone has that ability to do it, and mm. um, not to say that coffee isn't. You know, I've had some great pre-ground coffee. Yeah. Um, you just know that it could probably that it could have been better. Mm. You know, so if it was great, you can imagine, oh, this would have been a hell of a lot better if we'd, uh, you know, ground it at the time. So yeah. I've been kicking myself yeah. since last year December. Yeah. We were on a like road trip, and we were in Clarence, and they had like a market thing on the. You know that whole field? Yes, the square. The yeah, the square. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they had this big market yeah. with a bunch of little antique stalls and things and we are going past and we were sort of on the lookout for a, like a hand coffee grinder. Yeah. yeah. And we see this one, it's like obviously very old but it's this sort of British racing green ceramic with like these yeah. beautiful patterns carved out in it and everything and like the top is that, like you know those wooden hand yeah. grinders? Yes. The top is exactly yeah. like that but it's yeah. a ceramic sort of body. Yeah. I think it was about it's like six hundred bucks, yeah. like really yeah. not stupid expensive or anything. Yeah. yeah. And we wanted to buy it for my girlfriend's dad. Yeah. So she called him and asked him basically, "Hey, yeah. do you want this thing?" Yeah. He didn't reply like within a couple of hours, and we go back just after three in the afternoon, and like yeah. everything is shut up and gone away. Oh. Yeah. We have not found yeah. a single one since yeah. then. <laughs> Like we should have yeah. just bought it immediately. Yeah. 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 And when we it's one of those things, hectic regret, you know. <sighs> when he finally got back to us, he was like, "Yes, buy it yes, now." Yeah. Yeah. Too late. Yeah. So I've been looking yeah. for, looking for. Yeah. I saw yeah. you actually have some very nice ones in here. Yeah, we've got. Yeah, we've got some great ones. I mean, we've got some that are. Um, yeah, that are. Uh, we've got some hand grinders. Some mm. good hand grinders. Um, it'll obviously a little bit more work. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's satisfying though. And uh, so it's, you know, depending on how many you're making for. You know? <laughs> so yeah, it, it's satisfying when you're making for a couple of people, and then when suddenly, you know, there's like 20 people, everyone wants a coffee. 
then yeah. you want to murder people. <laughs> you start passing the grinder around. Right, like, imagine. Dude, I'm not grinding anymore. You know, <laughs> my um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they are great and they do a great job. Uh, but um, the, uh, the crops one, which we sell a lot of, you know, it's like just over a thousand bucks. And mm. that's a great, yeah, that's a great grinder. Uh, one that we all, you know, recommend. And, you know, as long as it's not for espresso, but anything else, you know, filter or plunges, whatever. Amazing. It works well. So. Thank you so much. Cool, man. Having yeah. us. That was yeah. very fun. I learned a lot. Good, good. <laughs> Thank you, man. You asked some good questions. So. Thank you. Yeah, really appreciate it.